Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Monday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Well, today is the big day. Today, we're launching our multi-semester in-depth study of St. Paul the Apostle. This first quarter, I've titled St. Paul the Apostle, the narrative context of his life and work. And for the most part, we'll be studying the Acts of the Apostles, because that's where we meet Paul, we follow his development, and we journey with him on his three missionary journeys, ending in Rome in the A.D. 60s. So, it's a big day. Now, if you've not registered for the course this fall semester, go to my website under Featured Course, St. Paul the Apostle. And whether you decide to register or not, you can download the 41-page syllabus for the course, along with the first lesson, the very first lesson, an introduction to St. Paul. It's all free. Have a look at it. And if you would like, please register for the course, and we'll be together for the entire, not only one quarter, one academic quarter, but for six academic quarters. That's a year and a half. So we'll be doing a good in-depth study of Paul over that one and a half year period, studying every single one of his epistles and letters in depth. It will be a great adventure. So have a look at the syllabus, the very first lesson, and then decide whether you want to sign up or not. Uh, In any case, I appreciate having you here and spread the word. Let people know about the course. This course not only will have a syllabus for each quarter, a fully developed syllabus, but also the individual lessons. And every week on Saturday morning, I'll be doing Zoom office hours so we can all come together online and talk about the lessons for that week. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's my first time Zooming. And, uh, uh, well, it'll be a challenge, but I think we'll be able to handle it as we go. So anyhow, welcome. Uh, Have a look at what we're doing with Paul. And now let's move into the podcast for today. Now, you might recall on Friday, we left off with the stoning of St. Stephen. And it was Saul of Tarsus, later to become the Apostle Paul, who oversaw the murder of Stephen. It changed everything. We read in Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, Saul was there giving approval to his death. Good job, men. And then we read, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now that's important to note, because up until this time, and we're now looking at about, say, A.D. 34 or 35, up until this time, the church was restricted to Jerusalem itself. Those people who had come for Passover A.D. 32 to celebrate Passover, the ones who witnessed the birth of the church, the 3,000 who were baptized by Peter, and those who continued adding to their number, They're all in Jerusalem. The word has not gotten out to the rest of the world. But now, with the stoning of Stephen, 
a great persecution broke out against the church and all those who had been visiting from all the other places around the Roman Empire got out of Dodge. Many of them went down to the port at Caesarea Maritima, got on board ships and sailed home. But if they were living more locally, they would have left Jerusalem, gone down to the coast to the Via Maris, and then traveled north on the Via Maris up to Damascus. If they went down to the east side of Jerusalem to Jericho and traveled through the King's Highway, on the King's Highway, that too would go up to Damascus. So if you want to stop the spread of the gospel, you put up the roadblock at Damascus. So all these people were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Now, of course, he couldn't do that on his own authority. He was given authority by the Sanhedrin. He was an important person in the Sanhedrin, not yet a member. But recall the adult student of the greatest rabbi of his century, Gamaliel, who, by the way, encouraged tolerance toward this movement. Because if it's just another movement, it will go away. But if it's not, you'll be fighting against God. So Saul was acting in opposition to his teacher, Gamaliel. And as we'll learn, when Saul leaves Jerusalem and heads for Damascus, he has authority from the high priest himself to go to Damascus and round people up there. So, godly men buried Stephen and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Now, verse 4 of chapter 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You see, now the gospel message is getting out into the world ever so slowly, but all these people who were leaving Jerusalem are taking the message with them. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. Philip, one of the original seven deacons, and when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Philip's preaching, as well as the preaching of others, was accompanied by great miracles. And we noted earlier that no person can perform a miracle. Only God can perform a miracle. And if God chooses to perform a miracle through you, it suggests that you have a very intimate relationship with God. And the greater the miracle, the more implied intimacy. Well, these miraculous signs are being performed through those who are taking the gospel out to the world. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city. And he amazed the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, Oh, this man is the divine power known as the great power. Now, how he did that, we don't know. 
but they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. Notice, magic, not miracles. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed, and he was baptized. Simon the sorcerer was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Now, however Simon did his magic, well, we can only conjecture. But when he saw the, the authentic thing, the real thing being done through Philip, he wanted that power. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Now, that's remarkable. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. You might recall the story of the Good Samaritan. Well, that's an oxymoron. In a Jew's mind, there's no such thing as a Good Samaritan. The Samaritans were those people in the Central Mountain Range, north of Jerusalem, and Samaria was the capital of the Northern Kingdom of Israel that broke away from the House of David back in 930 BC. So the animosity goes all the way back nearly a thousand years. The Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. You might recall too, that Jesus just had to go to Samaria where he met a woman at a well. And he asked her for a drink of water. And she said, not, oh, you, a great Jew would ask me, a humble Samaritan, for water? Oh, I'm so, oh, no, not that at all. She said to him, you, a Jew, dare to ask me, a Samaritan, for water? Who do you think you are? That was the attitude. But now, Samaria accepted the word of God. They arrived. James, uh, Peter and John, and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. We noted earlier, a few podcasts ago, that the Holy Spirit is the engine driving the action here in the book of Acts. God the Father is the main character on stage in the Old Testament. God the Son is the main character on stage in the Gospels. And God the Holy Spirit is the main character on stage from Acts all the way through Revelation and indeed right up until our own day. So they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he thought, that's how they do these miracles. And he offered them money. And he said, give me this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord, and perhaps he'll forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of 
bitterness and captive to sin. And then Simon answered, Oh, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you've said happens to me. And when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So right at the very beginning, Simon the sorcerer wants to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit, wants to be able to do what Peter and John were doing, wants to be able to provide the gift of the Holy Spirit. Simon the sorcerer. It's where we get the term simony, the selling of church offices. And oh gosh, in Dante's Divine Comedy, in the Inferno, the Simonites are treated not well in the pockets of hell. Simon the sorcerer. Now, all the while, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So that would be the road going from Jerusalem, 2,500 feet above sea level, down to the Mediterranean coast, a little bit south, uh, more toward Egypt. Gaza, today the Gaza Strip is there. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now think about that for a moment. This Ethiopian eunuch was an important official in charge of the treasury of the Queen of the Ethiopians. Candace, well, our NIV translation reads it as a name, but Candace is a, a position, uh, the position of the Queen of the Ethiopians. And he had an important job. He was head of the treasury. And he was in Jerusalem to worship. Now, something about the God of Israel had attracted this man. And he traveled all the way from Ethiopia down in Africa, all the way up to Jerusalem to worship there. And while he was there, he bought a scroll of the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now, that's no mean feat. Today, there are two complete scrolls of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, among the Dead Sea Scrolls. Isaiah A, which was found in Cave 1 in 1947 uh, 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 Qumran, that scroll measures about 27 feet long. It's about as long as you can get a scroll. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah. Anything bigger than that, you can't physically manipulate the scroll. But it would have been very expensive because someone had to have a copy of Isaiah had to hire a scribe, prepare all the material. The scribe had to hand copy that scroll, and it would take at least a year. And it was very, very expensive to do. So this Ethiopian eunuch clearly was a privileged person. He was in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia, and he had the money to buy the scroll of Isaiah. And as he's on the road down to Gaza in his chariot, he was reading that scroll. The Holy Spirit told Philip, go near the chariot 
and stay near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So the man's reading aloud to himself, not proclaiming Isaiah, but voicing the words. And that's how one would read in this day. Silent reading doesn't come in play until much later, where we read to ourselves without moving our lips. No, you would engage all the senses, the words on the page, sight, uh, the sound of your voice, the feel of your tongue speaking the words, and it would engage your senses. A much fuller uh, experience of reading than we have today reading silently. So Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading, and Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, how can I? unless someone explains it to me. I, I need a good Bible teacher. Where's Dr. Creasy? <laughs> no, Philip was good. How can I unless someone explains it? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture, Isaiah 53 verses seven and eight. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. And who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, if you read Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, totally out of context, not knowing anything about this story, you would ask, well, who is the he being referred to? So the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now how did Philip know to do that? Remember after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he spent 40 days with the apostles teaching them what they need to know to get the gospel out to the world. And what he taught them was from the law, the prophets, and the writings, the Hebrew scriptures. So, of course, when the apostles were teaching and Philip heard them teach, he picked that right up from the apostles who got it directly from Jesus himself. So as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, Here's water, why shouldn't I be baptized? He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on rejoicing. The spirit took Philip away. What, he suddenly vanished? No, I think the Ethiopian eunuch was hugging his attendants and crying, and, and they were hugging each other. And Philip looked on and he thought, that's a good sight. That's a good sight. And he just walked off and went on his way. So when the eunuch turned to find him, Philip was gone. But Philip appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea Maritima. We'll learn later in the story of St. Paul, 
Paul visits Caesarea Maritima, and he'll meet Philip there. And we learn that Philip had daughters who had become prophets. That's a good ending to the story of Philip. But notice, after the persecution in Jerusalem, the crowds scattered. And we have an example here of the crowds scattering when Peter and John encounter Simon the sorcerer and when Philip encounters the Ethiopian eunuch. So you can multiply those stories over and over again. Everyone who left Jerusalem had his or her story. And we have a sample here between chapters uh, in chapter 8 of Acts of the Apostles. But meanwhile, chapter 9, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. The people got out of Dodge, and those traveling by land were on the Via Maris or the King's Highway on the way to Damascus. Saul was rounding up everyone he could in Jerusalem, but now that they scattered, that's where you go to get them. So he asked the high priest for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, delegating the high priest's authority to Saul to arrest any up there and bring them back in chains. That tells you something about Saul's position in the Sanhedrin. As an adult student of the greatest rabbi of his century, he was well known. He was marked out for greatness. He was the rising star. Saul going to the high priest Caiaphas for letters delegating the high priest's authority to Saul to arrest people and bring them back, that really tells you something about Saul. It would be like me going to the Pope in Rome and receiving a letter from the Pope delegating papal authority to me to come back to the United States and round up anyone who's not following the party line. That would be an important person who could do that. Well, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. It was a brilliant light, so bright that it knocked him to the ground. And he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That blinding light, boom, just hit him and down he went. Now, we often think, almost always, that he fell off his horse. He was not on a horse. In the Caravaggio painting, he's on a horse, but he would not have been riding a horse. He would have been walking on the journey. But he's knocked to the ground. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Blinded and in searing pain, he said, who, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Well, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, the voice, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He was blind. 
That light was so intense, so sharp, that it literally damaged his eyes. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind, not eating or drinking anything. They put him in a dark room in Damascus, drew the curtains. If you've ever had a migraine headache, multiply it by 10. That's Paul. He's suffering for three days. He's in excruciating pain, blind. And that's not all. He realizes that what he had been doing is totally against God. He was the one who was the rising star in Judaism. He was the one who was so convinced that he was right, that he got those letters from the high priest. He was rounding up those people. He was a righteous man. And now he realizes he's 180 degrees in the wrong direction. Everything he believed is now gone and there's nothing left. Why? Because he murdered Christians. He was rounding them up, bringing them back. He stood watching Stephen being stoned, nodding his approval. Imagine. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord. And the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. So what was Saul doing this whole time in pain? His entire life turned upside down? Recognizing the, the truly evil things he had done? He was praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And I love this. Ananias answered, um, excuse me, Lord, I've heard about this guy and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And now he's come here with authority from the high priest to arrest all who call on your name. And you want me to go to him. Are you sure about this? But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He is my chosen instrument. Huh. You know, when Jesus chose his disciples, the 12. If they had applied for, for the job, I don't think any of them would have been hired. They were the most unlikely people. Fishermen, uh, they weren't particularly well-educated people. Why did Jesus choose them? And now, why in the world would God choose Saul, the persecutor? No one ever hated Christ more than Saul of Tarsus. This is my man, said God. He will take the message before the Gentiles and their kings.
and he'll suffer for sure. So Ananias reluctantly went. He went to the house, he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So he could see again, something like scales fell from his eyes. The, the Greek word suggests fish scales, some scab-like uh, particles fell from his eyes. I think when that blinding flash of light hit him and literally blinded him, if you've ever welded and you, you look at the welding torch without the mask down, your eyes will hurt for days after that. Well, Saul had a much brighter flash of light instantaneously, like a nanosecond, that literally physically damaged his eyes. He could see again, but I don't think he could see very well. Paul will later talk about a thorn in his flesh that he prayed for God to take away. And it's always been a big debate about what that thorn in his flesh might be. Was it epilepsy? Was it one thing or another? I think it was his eyesight. I think he could see again, but not particularly well. In fact, when we study Paul's epistles and letters, on several occasions, he, he doesn't write his epistles and letters for the most part. He dictates them to his secretary. In Romans, for example, chapter 16, uh, his amanuensis, his secretary, says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, say hello too. So Paul would sit back and say to Tertius, or another secretary, please take a letter. And he would dictate the letter. And then sometimes Paul will tell us at the very end of the letter, after being written out by the scribe, he would add a PS in his own handwriting. And he says, see with what big letters I write. Now, why would he write with big letters? Unless he had trouble seeing small letters. And think of that difficulty of traveling all over the Roman Empire, evangelizing, and not being able to see very well. Paul always traveled with an entourage of people. He traveled with uh, Timothy, Silas, Luke, a whole entourage of people, Barnabas and Mark in the first missionary journey because he needed help. Imagine traveling in territory you've never been to and not being able to read the signs very well, not being able to see very well. When he meets Luke on the second missionary journey, Luke is a doctor, and Luke will tend to Saul, Paul, all the way through the rest of his life. Once Paul meets Luke, 
they become inseparable. Luke becomes Paul's personal physician, his traveling companion, and his biographer. Luke writes the Acts of the Apostles. So I think we have with Saul and his damaged eyes, something we might ponder. Saul, in persecuting the church, could see clearly the evil of this movement. Well, he thought he could, but he was truly blind to it. And now he's literally blind. And when he receives his sight, well, it's something he'll struggle with the rest of his life. Saul's blindness is metaphorical as well as literal. And how many of us go through life thinking we can see as clear as a bell, like an eagle, but truly we're blind and we need to have our eyes opened. Well, as we continue on with the Apostle Paul, getting to know this man in the narrative context of his life and work, oh, we're gonna, we'll get to know him pretty darn well. And uh, it's going to be a real privilege doing this with you. So please look at the uh, website, logosbiblestudy.com. Go to the featured class, St. Paul the Apostle. Download for free the 41-page syllabus and for free the first lesson. And if you like what you see, sign up for the course and tell your friends. We'd like to have a good solid course that will run for a year and a half. So I need you to help me do that. Get the word out. Get people signed up. Perhaps even sign up for them. Gift them with the class. That would be a pretty nice thing. So that brings us to the end of Monday's uh, podcast and the launch of our new class. So I'll be back with you on Wednesday and I'll be praying the whole time. Please, you pray too for the success of the class and, uh, and my Zoom sessions on Saturdays. Now for the Zoom sessions, you have to be enrolled in the class, but uh, it'd, be a lot, it'd be fun to see all of you. So please sign up. We'll have a great time together exploring the great apostle Paul. Okay, bye-bye now.